for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to part six of our elk hunting confidence series. Last week we was all about archery season and the hunt strategies and boy did our bow hunters get after it. So this week let's see if our rifle hunters are just as hungry for some of the help at punching their tags. If you plan on hunting elk with a rifle this year, today's goal is to help you with tips and strategies to make that happen. So pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and let's get after it. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by elkgrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the show. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And for those blue-collar elk hunters out there that's been following us, welcome back to elk camp. All all I want to say to everybody out there is we need you guys' help. We need you to rate, review, subscribe, give us that five-star rating if you can. That helps us get out in front of more and more people. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you from Houston, Texas. In the house tonight, we got our elk hunting coaches in New Mexico, Joe Gillia and Leroy Chav Chavez. Hello, everybody. Here we go. Chab, Joe, before we get started, it's time for our Elk Bros shout-out. Got the tradition going on now, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. You know, these cities are the most listeners that are topping the charts with all our grinders. Right. All right, so let's get after it. Topping the charts this week. The city's name comes from the Native American word meaning echo, and it was rated by Kiplinger as the third best place in America for raising families. Swanee, how I love you, how I love you. <laughs> Swanee, Georgia, buddy. <laughs> and next up, uh, this Beaver Fever City is home to Juicy's Outlaw Grill, which holds the Guinness World Record for the largest commercially available hamburger, weighing in at 777 pounds. <laughs> And it's 777 pound hamburger. Yep, it's located in Corvallis, Oregon. Goodness, that's a giant burger. Understand, uh, that wasn't just a one time deal. This is a commercially available hamburger. You got to give 48 hours notice 
two <laughs> days to make a 777. I'm impressed that it takes them two, just two days to make a 777. It's a big one. Well, I mean, wouldn't that be a Guinness World Record for the frying pan or, or the grill? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to see the damn grill that thing goes on. <laughs> that's That's crazy, man. I mean – Buddy, I mean, you that's better, a lot of cows. You better bring some hungry friends. <laughs> yeah, bring your football team. Yeah, there you go. Corvallis, Oregon. Wow. Corvallis, Corvallis, Oregon. And our next shout out goes to our brothers to the west with some of the best elk hunting ever located in their very home state, the home state of the NFL Phoenix Cardinals, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. Man, I tell you what, glad to have those guys listen to us, man. And if any of them could ever help us out with a tag. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's like, it's like really dripping gold over there to get Oh, you know, there. we go to Flagstaff every year. Right, and, that's our uh, summer vacation, one of our summer vacation yeah, and, spots. And that, that Coconino is just gorgeous. And, and they do it right uh, in Arizona because if, if you are hunting in Arizona on their state land, uh, you can camp because you can camp wherever you want to. You're oh, not wow. stuck to any little campground, kind of like how we're doing in New Mexico right now. And that's a, that's a big, big plus, to, real big plus. Yeah. And yeah, right now that's a big negative for us. It's just yeah. something that I really hope they take a look at that, make a difference. Cause I think it hurts the elk hunting. And we got a big shout out to a little town in Montana, once known as the Christmas tree capital of the world and located in the state with the largest migratory elk herd in the nation, a big elk bros shout out to our small town from our small town to yours, Eureka, Montana. Eureka, Eureka. Yeah, wow. I think I think they're like a, small town. a thousand proud in their population. Man, it's supposed to be a yeah. That's about our size too. Yeah, yeah about our size. So uh, that's our, our brother to the north. Yeah, and we can't can we can't forget. Uh, home to Cowboys Stadium, Six Flags over Texas, Rangers Ballpark, and the Hurricane Harbor Water Park. This kind of makes it the fun capital of our state. A well, shout out to Arlington, Texas. However, Austin would probably have something to say about the fun. <laughs> so, what, what, so, you know, uh, I have never been to Austin. Where, when a person goes to Austin, where do they got to go? They got to go to 6th Street, brother. It's 6th uh, Street, a, huh? Mm-hmm, it's a party all the time. Oh, wow. Sure. Well, yeah. we have to. 6th Street. Austin or Boston? That's what my daughter said. Austin or Boston? She was going one or the other. So I want to give one more shout she out. The wrong man. one, Joe. She got to come to Austin. <laughs> She's getting ready to buy a house, man. So I don't know. It might not happen. I want to give one more shout out, and this shout out's to Dylan Smith of St. Mary's, Kansas, for his review. He left a review for us on uh, on Apple Podcasts that we really appreciate that support, Dylan. And just like you, buddy, we're all itching to get back in the mountains. So keep listening. Uh, that season's coming. So sure appreciate that. Man, we really appreciate it, Dylan. Guys, last week we talked about uh, hunt strategies for bow right. hunters. Uh, this week it's all going to be about rifle hunters and, and their <clears throat> turn. So even though it's a primitive weapon, um, we can include the muzzleloader guys too oh, definitely. Uh, in our discussion. Well, we can yeah. discuss the similarities and differences between the the rifle hunters and the muzzleloader. Uh, we've kind of looked at a lot of the different states out there. We don't know all of the muzzleloader dates for the different states. We've been looking at rifle dates so that we can talk about those when we start talking about the phases of the hunt here in a few minutes. But you've been on the muzzleloader hunts in New Mexico. Absolutely. And, 
in, in our, yeah, that's, that's generally October 6th through the 12th, I believe right around that time. And, uh, I literally right? could yeah, not that's... sleep all night yeah. because of all the bulls bugling. I yeah, mean, it's it uh, crazy. Yeah. It's prime time. You know, if you were to pick a, a date or a month to hunt and, uh, with the hunt being in the middle of the rut, I mean, you're, you're looking at October, early October. Heck yeah. yeah they're all bugling. I can tell you that. I, I'm, I'm seriously, I couldn't hardly sleep all night. I would uh, sound like a thousand bull elk out there bugling all night. Right. It was, uh, it was amazing. And then I got to hunt it and uh, it's challenging, you know, right. even with a muzzleloader it's challenging. You got to close the distance. I mean, those inline muzzleloaders out there nowadays, they're shooting them out to 300 yards, which that know, far i never I, yeah i've never shot one that far but i've shot them 200 and it's not a, it's a walk in the park for them at 200 yards i mean yeah I, you know the guys that i've taken uh with those end lines from 160 to 200 pretty solid yep. and you know uh you don't see a whole lot of that you know smoke <laughs> oh no it's you man, know <laughs> you know the powder the powder that's out there now is clean burning and fast burning and you know with the the different projectiles that are out there that are shooting the sabots and uh the uh the 50 cal that you know I, I shoot a barnes bullet out of mine and i'm telling you it's devastating you know uh you put it in the right place and it's a home run now i will tell you though there's a certain point that guys with those muzzle loaders you know need to work on getting a little closer because we've they had run out of punch yeah yeah and yeah they do and and then you know we've had times when when we would uh, find something uh <laughs> just under the skin or something like that, you know? Yeah. I actually killed a bull that, you know, when we skinned it, there was a muzzleloader ball flattened out right on the kill zone. Wow. And it didn't, it penetrated the skin, but that was about it. Then it stopped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have a feeling, I mean, that was years ago. So yeah. I don't think that was some of the end lines that they have right now, because let yeah. me tell you what, I've had some guys out there and man, they're just dead on boy. Yeah. You go three pellets deep with that thing and then put you a Barnes bullet in it. And I'm telling you 200 yards won't be a problem. Again, though, uh, you're right, Joe. You got to put the bullet in the right place. That rib area is a lot better than getting it into that big, thick shoulder blade. You know, sure. To get it home, you know, get it in the in the lungs, and yeah, it's going to do its job. Well, uh, so, so ju just uh, for our for our people's enjoyment, you you had a, a muzzleloader hunt uh, oh, one time uh, uh, here in New Mexico with a buddy of yours that that, uh, and if you could kind of. Give just a, a a little quick version of that and tell us about old Frazier. Yeah, man, I'm going to tell you, there's a bull out there we named Frazier. And uh, I, I was a big fan of Howard Cosell back in the day uh, when I was growing up listening to him announce fights and everything. So I'm telling you, a friend of mine on a real windy morning uh, went went elk hunting with our muzzleloaders. And uh, we got to a little spot that was really hot and had a whole bunch, but the wind was blowing 60. I ain't lying. I mean, it was blowing It was hard. cranking, yeah. So you couldn't hear them at all. I mean, when, and when you did hear them, it was because they were <clears throat> right on top of you, right? Uh, it was blowing away, you know, it was blowing into our face the whole time. And the whole, and then it would switch. And I just told him, I said, well, we're just going to have to just go and see what happens. And, and the boys are cranking a, at this time, right? Yeah, and I mean, they're going up. nuts. So we had our pick of – when we stalked in on him, we had our pick of about six bulls. And he liked this one that had a drop tine, and he was mm -hmm. kind of all herky-jerky, solid black. He'd been fighting all them other bulls. And we watched him fight for about half an hour. Well, long story short, he we get within 131 yards of this bull. 
And he said, man, where do I shoot him? We're all laying down on our packs. I said, put it right in the, follow his front leg up and put it right in the middle of that shoulder, man, and, and cut him down. <laughs> and he did. Boom, man. And the bull went down. And we're celebrating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> high-fiving and everything. And while we're high-fiving, the bull jumps up. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, it's two guys trying to load a muscle loader. Right? So we get it. We, we get over there and, and load the muzzle loader and everything. The bull gets up and walks off about 45, 50 yards, and he lays down underneath the pine tree. And I'm like, oh, he's done. He's done. He, he's done, you know. Uh, he's going to be fine. We, we just wait on him to die. Oh, no. Uh-uh. As soon as that wind switched and he got wind to us, buddy, he jumped up <clears throat> to his feet. Well, I told him, I said, cut him down again. Boom, down goes Frazier. <laughs> down he went. This time he backflipped, right? And we're dogpiling each other again. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't over. Hell no. I'm telling you, the bull got straight up again and started up a hill. I'm going to make it real short, but that, Frazier went down five times. Oh five times. Have you ever tried to reload a muzzle loader five times? It takes two men, and we're big old boys. It takes two men to get on the ramrod and ram that Sabbath down there <laughs> because it's so dirty. Now, listen, we got him, we got him killed, but it wasn't till the last time he ran at us down a hill and he shot him front on, and that he expired in probably about two and a half minutes. But that bull had five muzzleloader, 50 cal muzzleloader Barnes bullets in a spot that you could have laid a butter dish over in his shoulder. And it got through to one lung, but it never penetrated the second lung. We're 135, 150 yards. Right. So right. I will tell you, have we have placed that shot that much further back? And uh, double lunged just, him. Right. Yeah, double lunged him. So right. I learned something very valuable, but old Frazier, he took it like a man, brother. I'm going to tell you right now. Well, and, and you know, the, the part about that story that, and the reason I wanted to tell you, not only is it entertaining just to hear you tell it, <laughs> but the the point to how doggone strong these animals are and how tough they are. They got a and, will to live, Joe. And, and I don't care what weapon you're using, whether you're using a bow or rifle or you're using a, a muzzle loader, it's about shot placement. So five, five times. times. Yes, five sir. times, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well placed. I'm telling you, five times. We dug every one of them out of him. I, uh, it, this guy's a really good friend of mine. He's probably one of the first elk he's ever killed. His name is Jeremy Christofferson. Uh-huh. good friend of mine and i'm telling you we had the time of our lives but i think carl thought we were going to die because we kept radioing back he's getting up again <laughs> like, yeah, feel like he was I'm, resurrected huh? yeah i'm sure carl was like <laughs> yeah man that's so, an alien bull <laughs> so going going back to uh talking about the different states with their different seasons you know there are three different phases of the rifle hunt that are out there in different parts of the United States and different states. And, you know, you've got not all states have the opportunity, but some have it either with a muzzleloader as a firearm or with as, as with the rifle as a firearm. Right. right? So you kind of looked into some of these states uh, and we'll talk about New Mexico here in a minute, but to the rut period guys, the, the rut from, you know, that bow season um, in September, you know, uh, first to the 
depending on the state. Some of them go 24, some go 28, some go 30th. Some may even go a little bit later than that. But generally, when you're talking about that rut from the 21st to right about, I mean, the heavy rut to when those bulls start to split off, right around, give or take, you know, uh, October 8th, um, that's when those big bulls start to split off. There's only few, there's a few states that the rifle hunters have an opportunity to hunt in right. that, right? And not too many, actually. Uh, you know, you're looking at, at some of the states that uh, uh, hunt as early as October 6th. You know, we mentioned South Dakota, but, you know, they have a small herd, so even their opportunity is, is limited. limited. Right. Um, uh, some of the states like uh, Idaho, they have an early, and well, it's a muzzleloader and rifle actually pretty early in October. Right. So, you know, that prime time window is not that large, but they do have that opportunity. Well, I'm telling you from October 1st, if, if you can hunt that October 1st hunt with a rifle, it is nuts. It is just incredible. And I mean, that whether or not you're calling an animal in, they're screaming. So, right. you know, the location opportunities that you have. And we'll talk about, you know, those strategies here in a little bit. But, I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, uh, the private ranches in New Mexico, they hunt that early right. October. But uh, um, so you had, you had Arizona. What, what was the note? That was like October 1st. They yes, get I believe so. And they're uh, probably split into different hunts and different areas. So, you know, those states, they check right. their procs. Yeah, all the, all the different regions are a little bit different. Uh, uh-huh. Idaho is another one that starts October 1st. Of course, New Mexico, um, North Dakota, Montana is about the 15th, so it's kind of still in, so, the, in that area. And we'll area. talk about that. You know, we'll, we'll talk about those hunts that start on the 15th because we don't consider that prime rut time. That's more of a post-rut, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, And I know, like, Washington has, like, a master's license they give out that oh, actually really? starts August 1st and runs through the to through January 20th. So they can, you know, if they draw right or if they're in a specific region, they can hunt that rut. Which is kind of cool because most of these states, like New Mexico, is really, really, their opportunities is incredible for mobility impaired. Right. Uh, youth. Youth, right. And uh, uh, there's muzzleloader. Muzzleloader, right. Right. So they have great opportunities on that on that first, uh, especially the rifle hunt for the mobility impaired and the youth hunts. Yeah, if you have a you know a hunter that's mobility impaired, I mean you can't beat that that date. Well, let me tell you why that's so great in New Mexico. In New Mexico, we end our archery season. I think it's on the twenty fourth this year. Yes, sir. Yes. So that means from the twenty fourth until October. Uh, so it's the sixth here mm-hmm. when they start those uh, when they start those rifle hunts from mobility impaired. So from the twenty fourth till the sixth, prime breeding time, those animals are are rutting and going nuts, and and they've had a chance to recover from the archery season where the guys right. the pressure from that, and I mean they're relaxed, <clears throat> they're rutting hard, they're going nuts. I mean it's just. That's a super time for our for yes, our mobility it's, it's impaired. Yes, faded out of the woods. Right. Everybody putting scent down for sure. 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 Yeah. So that that's a, a quality time here. You know, Joe, one of the things we want to talk about too to our listeners <clears throat> when they're dealing with rifles or muzzle loaders or any kind of weapon is safety. 
you know, uh, a lot of these states are wearing, you know, guys are wearing, having to wear and burn orange, you know, or blaze orange vests and stuff like that for their safety. But I'd like to talk to a couple of, uh, on a couple of points of guys, just wherever you cover your muzzle, that's, you know, very important for you to watch where, where your muzzle goes. It's, it's that, all about muzzle. Yeah. Muzzle control. And then mm-hmm. what we put in our rifles or a muzzle loader. Uh, with a muzzle loader, it's a little different. You know, you've got to cock it and get a primer in there for it to right. be ready to rock and roll. But guys, just don't put don't put any 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 uh, don't make your weapon hot until it's time to rock and roll. And then I, I really want to say one thing about I've I've hunted three times now muzzle loader there, and I've seen twice. Uh, and I've seen this happen uh, rifle hunting here in Texas. I've seen this happen twice. Guys get excited and they wear gloves because it's mm-hmm. cold. Right. And when they shove their finger in that trigger guard, the gun goes off and they're not ready for it to go off. Number one, they took it off safety prematurely before they were ready to fire. Or number two, they had it off safety and they were getting ready to fire, but they just weren't ready yet. They can't feel the pressure that that glove's putting on these triggers. And let's face it, these guns that are being built nowadays have, you know, pound and a half, you know, triggers and some lighter and, Man, it doesn't take much of a glove to get in there. <clears throat> I watched a really good friend of mine hit a bull. He hit him in the horn and hit him in the in the rack. And and uh, this was a big bull. This is a 350 class bull. And, and he had a glove on. And he shoved his finger in that glove hole. And he was steadying himself up and just kind of working his way on that pack. And boom, you know, it went off. And it just unfortunate. Yeah. You know, I think it's really cool that before we talk about anything here that – we always talk first about safety. We talk about muzzle control. We talk about the fact that you do not want to even put your finger on that trigger until you're ready to kill something. You know, uh, when you have something there and, and, and you know that you're going to take that shot. So, uh, you know, uh, anytime that, uh, you are walking and you don't have an emerald that, you know, you've got that bolt pop or you're not loaded at all, man. You you just yeah. don't want to be in a bad situation. So always think about people around you. Think about your skyline, you know, uh, don't be taking shots at animals on skyline because you got other hunters in the woods and never know where that's going to you go. You got so, other animals beyond it too. That's right. You know, bullets, you know, that's a gift that keeps on giving. I promise you. And so, and, there, and slow down back. the moment too, you know, slow down the moment uh, because there's more time than you think. Make sure you're looking at it. Don't just focus on your animal because like you said, there could be another animal behind it. And we don't want anybody having to, you know, uh, having to call Game of Fish or anybody, you know, when uh, you have mm. something like that happen. So it's that, a horrible, can, that a can, put a, it can put a big damper on a hunt real quick. So guys, be safe out there. Um, take care of each other. and, and You uh, can't stress safety enough. I mean, that's right. we have a safety meeting before we take hunters out every morning. You know, we meet, we talk about our safety. We talk about, you know, don't get mad, you know, at your guide because he asked you to, you know, take your bolt out of your gun or leave the bolt open. I mean, it renders right. unuseless. Same thing with crack barrels, crack them open. I mean, whatever it takes, but it's really important. We want to go home with the same amount of holes in our body as we came here with. And yeah, same, and, same with everybody else. And if, you, if you're in bad weather or if it's mud or anything like that, you know, uh, put something to protect your muzzle over top of it, a piece of tape or uh, a wrapping over top of it and, keep stuff out of it so that you don't have anything blow up in your face or something like that. So we just want to stress that and we'll move on from that now. So, uh, 
we've talked about some of the states and what they have as far as the hunts. And so let's talk about the opportunities for those firearm hunters. And we're talking about, you know, muzzleloader hunters, rifle hunters uh, all together. Uh, those three phases that you guys have out there are, are going to be, it's, it's going to be the rut what we call prime rut when bulls are blowing up and that prime rut runs till about anywhere around the 8th of October before those big mature bulls start splitting off and, uh, and, and heading for cover. Um, that's the best time to fill your tag. I mean, it is just, and it's, it's a great time to be in the woods. Just, yeah. Just to listen, listening to the, it's, the music. Oh, it's, and it's just amazing. You know, and enjoy that moment, man. It, yeah. It's crazy. And what's kind of cool is, is that time, um, we're going to talk about New Mexico and kind of how they, they do things. I, I'm real proud of their, uh, how they work their hunts for conservation and to ensure that we have a healthy herd. The game management. But game management. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, you're going to get those mature and young bulls because, Man, I mean, you got bugles coming over there. If you're chasing bugles, you're going to see horns. You're going to see bulls. So it's a, an opportunity to get a mature bull and and uh, and just to get a good bull, you know, right? Uh, at, at those. And there's something that uh, that hit me one time when I was hunting because I used to think that the rut was like when it hit a date, it was something that just happened all <laughs> across the state or across the region and. And, and it doesn't, you know, when bulls are rutting, uh, that can, they can be rutting in one drainage and not rutting in the other. I mean, from, <clears throat> from ridge to ridge, you can have a rut going on in one area and a uh, half mile away from it. You don't because it's all about those cows coming in heat. That's right. And when those cows come in heat, those bulls get sent checking and they all start competing, wanting to breed that, that cow. And that, that's what gets all that going. Uh, and even though that we have, we say, you know, that rut generally goes to the to the eighth, you do have those second and third estruses that can happen to those cows. If they're not bred, they're going to come in heat again. And if they're not bred that second time, they're going to come in heat again. And if you are in the woods around those elk, when that happens, man, you're extremely fortunate because things really get, they, it just yeah. it blows up. It's magical. Know? Uh, it is. So th that's the rut. That's the time that we're talking about there from that uh, when those cows really start coming to heat, that 7 to 14 days around that equinox all the way till right around between the 8th to the 12th or depending on what's happening because this last year I think our rut was probably like two weeks late. Just two because weeks late. Of yeah. Huh. Um, but so that's the first phase. Second phase is going to be that post-rut. And that's when those mature bulls are splitting off. Man, they have, by this time, they've lost almost 200 pounds in body weight. And they're going to go off alone, and they're going to dive off into the bat caves, buddy. <laughs> they're they're going to go find uh, the groceries. Yes, sir. Well. And rest. They're going to find rest, man. Yeah, the first thing they want to do is they want to get away from the pressure. These guys have been through seasons. They're mature bulls. They want to get away from the hunters. They're going to drop off into the deepest, darkest places they can. Uh, they need a place that's got good water and, you know, uh, a, a place that's their sanctuary, their bedroom. And yeah, some uh, of them are wounded. You know, some of them are beat up pretty good, too. Yeah, they're beat up from fighting. Right. Uh, 
And I mean, clarifying your wounded thing there, you know, uh, I mean, we have found several bulls that were rut killed bulls, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you would not believe how intense those fights are that those bulls have. Oh my gosh. I know I've lived right through the middle of one. Yep. We found a huge giant six by seven bull, not a puncture wound on the body dead as a doornail because he had an interesting hook on his horn. And I have a feeling when he locked up, he couldn't unlock. And the other bull literally broke his neck, snapped his neck. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they are incredibly powerful. So, so that's what we're talking about is post rut. It is the hardest time to kill a mature bull. Uh, It's a good time to kill a young lesser bull because those guys that have been playing second fiddle all this time to, the, to those herd bulls, right. you know, those young bulls are the ones that round the cows up at first in that pre-rut, the time we like to hunt, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, they're rounding them up, and once those cows start to come into heat, those <clears throat> mature bulls come in, take over that herd, and they control that herd until they're done breeding that group, and then – they have now just beat themselves up so much that they're getting off and they're going to go find their sanctuary. Right. So they're heading out of there. So I would tell you that that, uh, that time of year, that post rut is that time after that eighth, 10th, 11th, 12th until the end of October, the worst time, the hardest time it can be done if you know what to do, but it is the hardest time to get a mature bull. Then you come late season. The late season is when now winter's coming on. Uh, This is November on, you know, this is when you hit that November and you're starting to get snow. uh, You're getting the cold weather and those bulls now are in They've recovered. They've gotten themselves together, and their next fear is they've got to make winter survival their top priority. So now they are starting to bachelor up again, and now they have to eat. Right. And you can remember um, this last November, uh, early December, you know, we would go out, and it was the best time to see big bulls. Right. Or a lot of bulls. Yeah, because they're all together and, you know, they're they're looking for food because they do take a a severe beating. And that time of uh, year two when they're fighting, a lot of the bulls, you know, the horns are snapping off because the intensity of the fights. But, yeah, they're looking for food. So, uh, you know, we drove we drove a stretch uh, in our area here of the beautiful Vividal down in the low part here. We drove through that. And in a three-mile stretch, we counted 52 bulls. Wow. And, and these were groups of five, three, 12, you know, all bachelored up. And right. you're, you can spot them because now they're, I mean, in the morning, they're out there and they're, they're eating as much as they can. Yeah, and they're not as spooked either. No. You know, we, could all, we drove up to one, actually. I was just laying down by the road. Tired. Yeah, tired. And we kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was like, oh, no, they're bothering me. i got to move. 
and a uh, big, big bull, you know. In fact, uh, you know, well, and it's kind of a sanctuary over in that area and that vibe at all that time of year. So even though, again, they see a lot of traffic, they see a lot of use on that road, they have vehicles driving by them. Some of those bulls, man, uh, they're on the side. They're so tired. <laughs> they just kind of lay their horns down a little bit so, yeah. so that you don't see them. <laughs> yeah, they put their horns down so you can drive by. <laughs> yeah, please, man, just don't make me get up. You know, they're, they've taken, it's been tough on them. So that late season is really a great opportunity to kill a mature bull. So before we go on to how to hunt those, now I want to go by, back and talk a little bit about, and, and whatever state you're in, this could give you a new way to look at how your state is managing your herd and for what reasons and open up some great discussions because in our state, take a look, all right? We end our archery season on the 24th. From the 24th till the 6th, prime rutting time right. for mature bulls, they're catching a break, right? Right. So now the first prime time hunt that we give in our state is going to be to muzzleloaders with a primitive weapon. It's going to be to mobility impaired, and it's going to be to youth. So the amount of numbers of mature bulls that go down to that are going to be fewer in that in that prime time. Plus, there's so many bulls out there that a lot of just good bulls are, are killed. Right. All right? So <clears throat> now you have your rifle season come in on the 12th. Well, what's happened to your mature bulls on the 12th? Well, they've already split off. Yeah. They've just dove off. So they're going to be the hard ones to find. So the bulls that are going to be taken are going to be your lesser bulls. So what New Mexico has done is it has provided a system that allows those mature bulls to breed, and then it allows them to basically, when the rifle hunters really have a shot at taking bulls, they're actually hunting during the toughest time to find a mature bull. Right. So you're ensuring that a lot of those mature bulls are going to be back the next year. And then, so we are only hunting rifle hunts in New Mexico uh, for, from the 12th. You have two hunts in October. You got that second and you got that third hunt. No bull hunts in November. Now it's all cow elk hunts and only for residents. So now you are making your herd, uh, ensuring that there's going to be enough feed by taking more of your cows to try to keep that population in check. Yeah, you're thinning the herd. Right. You're thinning the herd through the taking of cows. You're ensuring the strength of your herd through uh, mature bulls being able to survive. They're not being able to now, when those mature bulls start coming out on that late season, they're no longer being hunted in November and December here in New Mexico. So, uh, and you said something about the numbers of the elk here in New Mexico. Yeah, I saw a publication where it was 200,000 strong. So, I mean, that's a – I get uh, my elk, uh, elk journal or something like that, one of my magazine publications right. had it where the population there was 200,000. I mean, that's a lot of elk, you know. There's no wonder why people are, you know, wanting to come to New Mexico. Well, and what's interesting is there's uh, – I think there are, if you look in the PROC in New Mexico, we do have a few units that do allow rifle hunting in that October 2nd 
hunt, but it's very limited. And so I imagine they've done that for reasons, again, for game management in that area. So you can check your proc and look for those and try to get into those areas. So I just want to kind of talk about that. And, and, and I'd just like to say a positive thing about, about our game management through our game and fish. I've been I've been real happy with that. Joe, now, you've heard bull, you've, you've, on the late latter part of the season, have you heard bulls being vocal in that part of the season? Oh, you know, have man. you heard bulls bugling? Definitely. Uh, yeah. Especially those younger bulls. You know, they're going to – I've heard bulls bugling into December. I mean, I've seen them on snow-blown ridges, you know, with it howling, and, and you hear bugles coming from them younger bulls. You know, the those uh, <clears throat> those other bulls have bachelored off already. Um, I haven't heard a whole lot from those bachelor groups, uh, but those bulls that are still in with the cows and stuff, those smaller bulls, I've definitely heard them singing. And, and I have heard big bulls and, and, and those bulls that those lesser bulls that are still running with cows bugle, uh, November, you know, so you can still hear that Mm -hmm. and you can still get on those. Um, you just got to be real careful about talking back to them sometimes. I mean, you, you don't want to go spooking them off. Right. Right. So let's, uh, let's go from that. And we're going to go talk about now that we've talked about our three phases, let's talk about how to hunt each phase. So the easiest one on there, or when you think the it would be the easiest. It would be the rut. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think you told me one time, you, you, you know, it almost feels like cheating, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think if you use uh, archery tactics uh-huh. you know, that we talked about, you can get pretty darn close. Because uh, even the hunt we had this year, right? You know, when I first spotted the the bulls, uh, they were probably three hundred yards away and possibly closer, and they got within a hundred yards. So I, I could have had my pick, right? You know, use, right. using archery tactics. So, right. and there's been a lot of times. Uh, I think Gilbert. Uh, this past season, we ran into that real big one, remember? Whew, no that doubt. Huge old thing. And uh, no way we could shoot it with, with a bow, but with a rifle, that would have been an opportunity. Right. Oh, man, yeah. We'd have remember him down. what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, so think the same tactics, man, as far as locate in the dark, close the distance. The only thing is, is now you don't have to you want to keep a buffer on that distance. You don't have to get in there where you have to worry about the wind shifting and, and mm-hmm. which is the same thing. Guys, rifle hunters have got to think constantly Wind, wind, wind. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you and know, put, then put the time in on the bench. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Because and, and at the location you're hunting guys, I want to tell you, it's going to change when you come out of the low country and get to the high country, you better shoot your weapon when you get somewhere. Because it will be different, I can Definitely. assure you. Yeah, if if you're coming from low elevation, you come up, you better you better check that and uh, bring you an extra box of bullets. I, I think the, <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. Yeah, I I think the the one thing that changed for me because when I first started guiding rifle hunters as a bow hunter, you know, uh, man, I love chasing the bugles and stuff, but you had to change some things because again, now you you know, you, you can reach out and touch something and, you know, you get in there in those thick trees, you know, with a rifle, uh, guys have to be prepared. You have to, to be prepared. Yeah. To turn that <laughs> scope down, man. Because if you're in the trees and you got animals bugling around you anywhere close, turn that puppy down right away. 
uh, because I've had guys that, you know, in the, in the moment, they would just get so excited that, you know, they'd forget to turn it down. And then they're like, I can't find it. I can't find it. So, you know, it's just uh, one of those things. But when you're chasing these bugles, you got to think vantage points, high ground down or low ground up. You want to get to a point where you can see as much country as to where you're hearing those calls and looking for those animals coming through something. Burn areas are phenomenal. I love burns. They're just such a great area uh, as a rifle hunter to get a vantage point and to get a great shot. And they love being in there yeah, feeding they, on those. They have a lot to feed on, and it's open. You know, you can see a long ways. Yeah. You know, you, have, you get opportunities. Right. So, so that's, that's something to think about is that high ground down, low ground up, and cross ridge views. So if I have a bull and, and I'm up on a ridge and, that, and I can hear that bull bugling and you can tell they're moving up that ridge, don't drop off down into that bottom after them because you're just putting mm-hmm. more stuff between you and them if it's a reasonable distance across there. If you've got, yeah, keep that elevation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to keep that elevation looking for those animals, moving up that ridge, you know, where you can get that 250, 300-yard shot and uh, be careful of just diving off. Now, if they, man, if they go on top out and they go on the other side, now it's Humpville, USA. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to get down, you got to get back up, and, and you got to be careful when you're topping out on that other ridge because sometimes they're just only a third of the way down. So, um, Joe, when, you, when guys are preparing for their – you know, their prospective places to hunt elk and stuff like that. What do you think is a good distance for them to, to really hone in on from two to 400 or you, you, uh, you I, two to 300 or. Yeah. You know, so you have to be ready because during this time of the year, if you're chasing animals and you start getting in areas where you've got good vision between trees and, and they're moving through and, and they're happen to coming into your call, Man, you got to be thinking 100 yards, right, inside right. the trees. Now, mm-hmm. when you're talking about cross ridge, you know, a 200, 300-yard shot is – and there's guys out there that know their weapons way better than I could tell them. It's sure. kind of like the same thing I tell a bow hunter. I cannot dictate the shot distance that you're comfortable with. Yeah, uh, you can, yeah. Right. Uh, that's for you to know. and. Yeah. For, because you guys, I, I want to tell you, I've, I've seen guys that weren't comfortable and try to make shots they're not comfortable with. Guys, don't do that. Right. Don't. I mean, if you're not comfortable with the shot, you don't like the way the animal's standing, you don't, you're just not comfortable. We're not staying in that kill zone uh, and can't aim small and miss small. Just pass. Sure. Keep moving, improving your position is, you know, like you said with a rifle, uh, you know, you can. There's just a few things you can change and get another 60, 70 yards closer and make things a lot more comfortable. Well, because, you again, we don't want to wound an animal because now we're talking 300 yards. We're not talking 40 yards. We're talking 300 yards. By the time you get over there and locate, if you, ha- if you don't have a spotter, if you do have a spotter, mm-hmm. man, now it's real difficult to find that spot, that location, and, and uh, that's the situation you want to put yourself in. Always, all of us, we want to put, the best, most responsible, quickest kill. So like we have said to our bow hunters, sometimes the best shot is no shot at all. And the second best shot, according to Lance Bernal, buddy of mine, is a clean miss. You know? So exactly. No blood drawn. Yeah. So if you're aiming that lower third on that animal, 
you know, uh, now if you're a little bit high on that, you're right in the pocket. If you're a little low on that, it, you got yourself a clean miss. So yeah. that's something. Um, I will tell you, though, when you are chasing bugles, the more knowledge you have of an area is a huge plus because now when you hear animals going a certain direction, kind of like we know now when we hear in the area that we hunt, kind of where those guys are going. And when you have that and you can go and you can beat to a vantage point because you know where they're going to come out, that's huge. So having that kind of knowledge in your back pocket is really going to increase your odds for success on that. Um, Some things to really pay attention to that if you're new to elk hunting, um, if you're, you know, veterans and you probably already know this stuff, but um, pay attention when you're putting proper placement on a kill shot. If that animal is quartering away from you, you don't want to line up with the onside leg. You want to line up with the leg for proper placement on the opposite side. So what's going to happen is, is because of that angle, if you, if you now shoot that onside shoulder, you're basically just going through the front of the brisket of that animal, you know, depending on how sharp they're quartering. And if you look at that leg where it is on that other side, it'll definitely direct you on that quarter because mm-hmm. – if it's a hard quarter away and you see that leg, sometimes you're putting your crosshairs back there on the hip of that animal on the onside. So, you know, look at some pictures of those animals and look at them when they're quartering away and look at that leg lining up on the other side. That's where you want to go up on your lower third and put that in right on that other leg. If that animal is quartering to you, the rule that I have, depending on how strong is quartering, when you see front legs like this quartering to you, generally you're going to be inside shoulder. If you're seeing partial leg, you're either going to be right on the shoulder or right behind it, depending on how hard that animal's quartering. So really study that anatomy on that animal. Um, be prepared to, if that animal is outside of 200 yards, to range immediately get an idea of what that range is on that animal. Uh, If your animal, and this is what I tell a lot of people, because you only have so many opportunities to kill an animal. And sometimes that window is just seconds. If you have an animal in killing range and you want to look at him, look at him through your scope, not your binos. Okay. That's a great Uh, tip, Joe. Yeah, because I mean, you look yeah. at him through the binos. Watch him walk right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oops. That's the tail. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And some of these scopes we have, man, you can dial in. You can get a good look, dial it down, whatever you want to there. So always look at them. That way you decide, man, you're ready to squeeze off. Um, dial down your scope when in tight. Uh, use more location calls at this time. Uh if, an, if a bull starts coming into you because you're calling, you'll be able to tell that. But when you have a bull and his cows are moving in the morning and you start screaming at him, and you, you don't want to just start pushing that process. So use location calls so you know where they're going and get an idea so that you can work your vantage point. Okay, um, Determine their route and then you move to that area 
and try to get the best vantage point. If I hear elk going up a ridge right here to my right, well, if I have a ridge right here on my left that's going up and I know they're at the bottom, well, I'm, I don't want to follow behind them because now I've got the thermals pushing my scent right up to them to push them over that ridge. I want to go up the ridge up here to my left where I can get now a vantage point of them moving up and keep my thermals going in the direction where I'm at heading up. So, you know, Joe, I spent a little time uh, in the in the rifle season uh, with hunting with a good friend of mine, and I went up with him and was just going to be there to support spot, you know, do a little calling and stuff like uh-huh. that. And uh, anyhow, we uh, we started up a ridge, and as we started up this ridge, I just cow called one time, and a bull just blew up. There you go, right below us, right, mm-hmm. and then he shut up completely like I, I cow called back to him i figured well he'll blow up again Mm-mm. didn't say a word we walked and i'm like he's got to be right here i mean he sounded like he's right on top of it. we walked probably 250 yards past him and it was blowing like crazy wind blowing and everything right well when we'd gotten off uh, off the mule to actually make a stop uh he was right there and we did not know it. So we walked right by him and his cows on our way back to the mule. We were like, well, they whooped us. They got in that drainage before we could get to them. Right. We got back to the mule and I, yeah, again, and <laughs> again, right on top of us. We're like, what in the world? So we just bailed off the side and there he was down there with 14 cows. Right. I mean, he was standing, but we'd never thought to look over that little side. So those sounds change when they're going up the sides of those mountains. So, Most definitely. You know, I, I learned something real, real key was to investigate, you know, go look over those sides and stuff like that. We went past him 300 yards and we're above him, you know, right. and we got down on him and, and, you know, made a little stalk in there on him and killed him at about 125 yards. Do you remember what time of year that was? Gilbert? Yeah, it was uh, just the latter part, like the 17th, 18th of October. Right. 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 So it was in Colorado, uh, real, and, real close to New Mexico, but in Colorado. What size bull was that? Do you remember? Oh, he was a management bull and he had 12 cows, but he was an older management bull, right? Okay. A big six by five and, uh, probably scored 285, something like so that. Real pro- beautiful rep- representation. Right. But again, he, he's that lesser bull that now that the big right. bulls have left, he's with right. those cows. And so, Indeed. yeah, it, it's, uh, just think about that, you know, how aggressive can you be with them? So the cow calls were a good thing for you to do at that time. We're, we're going to talk about that now. We're going to locate. Talk, you know. Yeah, we're going to talk about post-rut. So right. <clears throat> post-rut and late season, All I, one thing I want to tell people is that the two least important pieces of equipment to me during the bow season become the two most important, you know, during the, during that, uh, post rut and late season. Yes, sir. Binos and spotting scope. Yeah. Because now it's all about being at vantage points and trying to locate those animals and then figuring how you're going to move into them. being where you can hear, being where you can look, uh, being where you can see a lot of different areas from one vantage point and hear areas. So uh, those become critical at, at that time. 
I'm a bow hunter brother and I love to bow hunt, but I'm going to tell you, I had a blast on those two rifle hunts, right? Just being there with my partners sure. and stuff like that. I learned a lot and it was a lot of fun. It was very challenging. You know, I oh. figured, Oh man, it's, I can't tell you how many bulls I could have killed if I'd have had a rifle. Right. It is very challenging. And you know, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging in a whole different way because now Absolutely. it's going to test your patience. It's going to test, you know, we get out there and we making we're just covering area in the bow bow hunt. We're trying to get something to sound off, and we're being aggressive. Move, move, move. Call, call, call. Now, man, you, you're you become that uh, that SEAL team sniper out there. Got to be the ninja. Yeah, got to be the elk ninja now. Yeah, now you got to be up there. You got to find those vantage points, and and the same thing. You talk about a day, you know, on on this time of year. Uh, those animals, especially that that post rut, if you're trying to get if you're trying to get a big bull, if you're trying to get one of those that dove off into their sanctuaries, buddy, you better be out there at daylight and you better be out there at dark because you're gonna have a half hour probably at daylight before they get out of there, uh, and you're gonna have probably fifteen minutes before dark. So you better have some good flashlights. You better have, you know, be used to know where you're going, have that on X in your pocket. Yeah. Have um, your GPS ready to go. Yeah. Because. Mm-hmm. So it, what what does that do with the midday hunt that was so successful during the bow season? You know, the only time it becomes a midday hunt is if you are hunting a post-rut mature bull and you have managed to locate him in his bat cave right? Mm -hmm. If you've seen him, because what they do, what those bulls do is they are in an area that is thick as crap. I mean, you you talk about a pack out job, you better be ready. Yeah. Got a lot of shade. Oh, oh, they're going to be in an area that is blow downs, it's thick. And one thing that they're going to have is they can feed on, on grass that's in cover. They're not going to expose themselves that much. They might at night and you might spot them at that 30 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night, but they got to have water. So there's going to be water close to that area. And if you can find those little flat areas that get really, really thick, you know, at the top of drainages, uh, on ridges where there's water in those areas, you know, that's close by. And if you locate him and you don't get a, a chance to get on because they get right into their, you know, into mm-hmm. their sanctuary, they get into their back cave and they bed down, well, now you can try to use the wind, get in as close as possible to where you can watch that area and be there all day. Now you're playing sniper, and yeah. you're, you're waiting for that guy to make a move or get out of his bed because that's going to be your best chance. Yeah, those big bulls are, are smart. You right. Know, you know, I firmly believe that there's uh, some giant bulls that don't even come out till it's dark. Correct. And go back in before dark. Right. You know, I remember uh, – Way back, remember we we found that one bull only because we, there was a full moon. Right. You know, we, we found it, you know, let it bed down before we did anything the following day. But, yeah, he came out at at dark. You know, if it wasn't for the full moon, we wouldn't have even known no, he, he was, was there. there. And, and he, he just, started screaming. He started screaming, mm-hmm. and you could see him. And Now, so that basically there is no midday hunt unless you have that situation. Right. Yeah. You're a morning and evening type of guy so you got to be out there in the dark and look at that time in the morning and you got to be it's it's easier to get one of them lesser bulls at this time because 
they are still with the cows. Right. They are still talking at times. And then you have a kid, uh, you have a cow come in second estrus, man, those bulls start lighting up. Now that dude in the sanctuary, if he's got a little bit of recovery and he hears that, he might even head out there uh, to be able to scent check and then yeah. try to breed that cow. Be and then, part of the party. Yeah, and then head back. <laughs> in fact, we killed our largest bull last year at the end of October because a cow came in heat. <clears throat> and uh, that bull was un- an unbelievable bull. And never saw that bull all this time that we were seeing all these other bulls with cows. We had never saw that bull until that cow came in heat. So you can get that opportunity. Uh, you know, you brought up a great point, Joe, about optics. You know, uh, it, it's so important in that time of year to have great optics, especially when you got to hunt those first minutes of light in the morning and right. the last 30 minutes of light in the evening. Uh, you know, the bigger uh, the bigger uh, uh, objectives are, are, you know, 50 millimeters, 40 millimeters. I mean, it makes a big difference. And quality sure. optics is, is huge, you know, uh, and not that they pay us to say anything, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, Quality, quality optics like Swarovski, Zeiss, Leupold, uh, Nikon. I mean, those are some of the, the best optics that you can use. And if you can afford it, buy the best ones you can because it's going to afford you just a little bit more time to see in that light. Well, for those blue collar out there, man, I tell you, those Vortex, the glass Absolutely. on those, yep. and, and you're paying uh, half the cost half of the cost, those yeah. other ones. So, right. um, you know. I agree. Yeah, they they are, are great glass. So I, I think, you know, good point on that. So let's say that you are looking for those big bulls this time of year. Um, what are the aspects of those bat caves or those sanctuaries? I call them bat caves, man, because it's like they did dive off and disappear, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that's exactly uh, what it is. Yeah, and those at this time, they're going to be located near those early season areas. They're not going to be too far off of where – you know, those animals still are at the end of that rut. Again, they might be, uh, uh, and so it's in the higher areas. They, they might even get involved in some of those, those late ruts that happen. It's going to be thick cover. Uh, great spots are those, those small, flat, thick areas at the head of drainages that have got water close. Uh, if, if, if you find water near those thick, thick spots, you're, you're in business because that's what they're needing at that time. Um, they're going to be secluded. They're going to be rough. They're going to be tough. They're going to be thick, dark, and they're going to be hard to reach for a hunter. That's why the vantage points are big. I mean, it could, it could be steep areas. You know, here in New Mexico, depending on where you're at, we're only going to get so steep. We're not like Colorado. Uh, but there are some areas where we drop into drainages, man, that you got those cliffs that go down, and it's like, man, how do I get down there? And that, those, how do you get back up? Yeah. yeah. And, and those bulls, they'll get down in that, in that yeah, box. for sure. Like old Carl, you said, bring a, bring a loaf of bread. We're going to have to eat him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tough yeah. to get out. Yeah. Gilbert and I know about walking, walking downhill for two miles, for two hours. <laughs> straight oh my down. gosh. To go to, to go a half mile. Ooh. And it, and it man. took what? three minutes for that animal. Yeah. You know, oh, exactly. man. Yeah. It may be yeah. less. Yeah. So their water's going to be within a half mile or closer. If it's a dry area or a year, um, your choices for that are going to become more evident, you know, depending where you're at here in New Mexico, 
we know exactly what we're talking about with that. In other states, you know, some states have a whole bunch of water on that. So um, you really got to kind of, you know, really check it out. Uh, and they're going to have feed that can be located in cover, okay? Uh, we've already talked about what the best times are, that first 30, mm-hmm. that last 15. Um, and uh, we talked about if you get a bull there, how to put it to bed. So, guys, it's really thinking about, again, you know, don't put yourself in a vantage point looking into a basin where you've got your thermals dropping down into that because, man, you'll you'll just get those guys boogered off. So think about where you're at according to the area that you're at to get those vantage points. Now, late season, again, no midday hunt. Uh, this is morning and evenings. But your time is going to change now because now you're going to probably have an hour in the morning mm-hmm. uh, to a 45 minutes to an hour in the evening that those bulls are going to stay out more because they have to eat. You know, I think, Gilbert, your big expression is that elk are a slave to their bellies. They are a slave to their bellies. You bet. Yeah. they got to have food and they got to have water. And uh, if you can find those two sources and a place that they like to bed, you can start figuring out your – your ninja plan to intercept them. Yep. And at this time of year now, these guys are bacheloring up. So it's going to be easier to spot them now because before when you're trying to, unless you're looking for those lesser bulls with the cows, you can find them during that uh, October time of the season, man, those five by fives, like you said, those uh, management bulls, you get great opportunities on them, but to find those big boys, uh, you got to be, you got to put some work in to have that happen. Yep. Uh, late season, I think, is the best time. New Mexico, we do not have a late season hunt for bulls. So if you have a season in your state that's in November, and, man, if you have snow on the ground, mm-hmm. snow is your best friend. You know, Because if you're seeing, man, it looks like a herd of cattle went through there, uh, that's not what you're looking for because that's yeah. the cows doing that. Mm-hmm. You start seeing those, you know, single tracks. Individual yeah, you see those single tracks of three to five, five to eight, and and you see them. Now you're looking for those bulls, and you can check those sides. And in the mornings, they're going to be down in those grassy areas. They're going to be digging through that for grass. Uh, in the in the evenings, they're going to be coming down on that. So I really, as I'm going through in the mornings, I always like to check the sides of hills. You know, if I get there late, I want to check those sides as those guys are moving up, you know, from those areas. A little easier to, to spot. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and which was real evident. Yeah. Those windblown uh, mountainsides are really good, too. Right. So, um, movement from higher areas to lower range canyons. Remember that now, though. It's going to be different. Where you're going to find elk in the late season is not going to be the same place that you're finding them in post-rut. Those animals now are going down to winter range. So as that snow line starts going up, they're migrating down lower to where they're getting better grass. And you're going to see bull elk now in areas that you did not see a single one during the rut. So it makes sense. Yeah, they follow the snow line. Oh, yeah. And if there's agricultural areas, hay fields, um, just large parks that are down low. Uh, those oak brush canyons here in New Mexico that are down low, meeting the plains, those areas are, are prime time 
at late season, and that's uh, great places to be able to find those bulls there. Yeah, and that snow will drive them down. That yes, snow, it has to be a lot, but a snow, <laughs> snow will drive them down for sure. Well, you know what? Sometimes with these guys, it doesn't take a whole lot because, it, you know, again, it's about energy. Yeah. So they don't want to be pawing in, in any of that snow. They want to get down where their feed's easier, yeah. and it's stuff they haven't fed on yet because they've been up high. So, uh, you know, think about that. You've got the rut. Man, it's think archery tactics. You've got post-rut where – you still have animals talking, but they're going to be the lesser bulls. You can still chase those bugles, but if you're after that trophy bull, you have to put the work in, and you're really going to have to go looking for them. Late season, if you're fortunate to have that November season, November 1st on, any of those hunts, that's one of the best times to get really a, a large bull, lesser bull, because those guys are bachelored up. And you'll find five bulls and you'll have a really, really nice one. You'll have some smaller bulls in there, but you know, uh, all different ages. So right. basically that's, uh, that's our tactics for our rifle hunters. I have uh, just one question uh -huh. before we close uh -huh. uh, for the archery season to get my confidence up. You know, I shoot kneeling and standing, you know, everything. Right. What do you have your rifle hunters? Do they use sticks uh, or that's, just branches or a, the lay down? No, that's an awesome question because uh, different people are different. And, you know, we talked about how what, like we like to get on our knees. Well, there's some guys that have bipods on their, mm -hmm. on their rifle. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have that opportunity to be able to lay down and do that where you can get a clear shot, yeah. um, that's really depending on the type of area. The terrain, yeah. Terrain, terrain, yeah. I would eliminate that on certain terrains. Right. Eliminate that. And so I, I, I like my guys to shoot off shooting sticks and i and i just tell you this if you're going to shoot off shooting sticks practice on shooting sticks absolutely yeah, you know practice and uh you know you, you want to know where to put those shooting sticks on your gun so that you're giving yourself the best seated opportunity to be able to shoot i like my shooting sticks to be further away with the barrel on the shooting sticks, not up close to the hand, you know, so that I can be a little bit more stable on yeah, that stability. Yeah. Some guys will put it real close and you're not real stable on that. And actually the action of the shot can kind of bump that off just a little right. bit. Uh, That's great, great, great stuff there, Chav. That's a huge point on having to use the equipment that you're going to and practice with the equipment that you're going to use out there. And, and, and you know, for, for guys that are doing it themselves, y'all are going to want some shooting sticks, right, to, to right. have them with you. And if you're on, a, on an outfitted hunt, you know, I'm pretty sure your guides are going to ask you to, uh, to practice with shooting sticks or shooting prone from a bag. I mean, uh, whatever it may be, don't well, just get on the bench. I mean, the bench is where we want to dial our accuracy in. But sure. And once you, you do sure that, that, once you're on the bench, and the critical thing is not only shoot off the sticks – but practice setting up those sticks, man. So you get there, you have to do your setup, get your gun on, and get everything steady because uh, that familiarity with the setup is so critical. And, and there's different kinds of shooting sticks. I know Primo's make some that trigger you can stick. just squeeze and they, yeah, those trigger sticks awesome. that just drop down. Yeah, they're, they're really, really good. Uh, they're quality sticks. And we actually, we actually used one. Logan had never hunted with a with shooting sticks, and we mm -hmm. did a a hunt in New Mexico for mule deer. His first time, he was eleven or twelve, and he'd never shot off a shooting stick. But that night, 
uh, we were hunting with Ross and, and Ross had him practice all night, putting his gun up there on him, finding the target behind his house, you know, getting on target and everything. And when it came to making it happen, the boy put him on the ground. I mean, he made an awesome shot in a 30 mile an hour wind, 184 yards with a 6.8 SPC. And I mean, he anchored that animal. Well, and time is your enemy. So yeah. you need to be able to get those set up, get on that animal, you know, so that you don't end up with that animal walking away and your opportunity being lost. So, I mean, again, like you said, slow down the moment, but by getting there, now you're not rushing the shot because you've had all you've yeah. gotten all nervous. You practice yeah. closing Heck right yeah. from practice getting closing the distance and using your equipment. You know, it's the same thing we talk about with the bow. Practice closing the deal. Right. You right. know. Make yeah, sure you have big, that part down. And that's a big deal. I mean, you know, you put all the work in up to that point. You want to make sure when it's go time, you index that finger and kick it off safety. We slide our finger in there on the pad of that trigger. Squeeze. Squeeze it out, you know, right. and uh, let the gun surprise you when it goes off. I tell all my, I tell all the guys that I rifle hunt with, did you know when the gun went off? Because the ones that make really good shots say the gun scared the heck out of me. Right. You know? And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be where that crosshair was every time when that happens. Right. You know, and I put guys on benches and they try to poke a hole through the target with their barrel because they're flinching <clears throat> all the time, you know. So it, that's important, man. Practice so your trigger squeeze. You know, with that, I think we pretty much cover what we wanted to for that Absolutely. part tonight. And uh, n- next time, you know, we talked about this, and you know, our next one that we're going to talk about is confidence through hunting etiquette. And you know, people kind of wonder what that's going to be about. But when you talk about the etiquette of how you go about doing things, the expectations, what what uh, those norms that we believe in as hunters and how we should treat each other, how we should treat the land, how we should uh, act and react to each other out there. The, 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 the rules of what you should do as far as camp placement or when you come across each other or public land, you know, uh, a lot of the different things and unknowns that a lot of people end up who haven't been raised in a family of hunters, uh, haven't been exposed to that a lot of us take for granted. But I, I think it's good to talk about those things so that people feel comfortable out there and they feel comfortable with their encounters with other hunters out there. And we're all kind of thinking on the same page and making it a positive experience. So that's what we're going to talk about next time is, you know, when you go out there and you don't know those things, you kind of feel a little <clears throat> unsure, you know, about some things that you should do or when you come across people or, or what you should do and how to act or feel like you're doing things wrong. And we don't want that to happen. So that's what we want to cover on our next. One. That's going to be a great show. And guys, we sure appreciate y'all here tonight. Um, it was great, great show, great content. Uh, what an awesome show we had this week. And we're looking forward to next week's show on the, on the hunting etiquette uh, from Joe and Chab in New Mexico. I'm Gilbert Ornelas. God bless all of you out there week to week that have been grinding it out with us. Kiss your wives, hug your, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next time right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunt. Bye. Yeah, and, oh, a good night. And Have also good. those other, those other ladies, don't forget to kiss your husbands too. <laughs> <laughs> good night, y'all.
every once in a while it's fun to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun. Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.